Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, August 18th, we are studying Lamentations chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. The second poem in the book of Lamentations continues to consider the destruction of Jerusalem theologically. The Lord is the one who has done what he has purposed against his people, but because no human comfort will help, the people cry out to the Lord in their great distress. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Mike Newman. Pastor Newman serves as the president of the Texas District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. President Newman, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Well, thanks, Pastor Apple. Good to be with you. It's a pleasure to have you once again, President Newman. As we get started this morning, let's talk a little bit about the Book of Lamentations as a whole. Remind us kind of what's going on in the context and the structure of the book that'll help us with the verses we've got today. Yeah, you know, as you mentioned, it's a it's a tragic book, isn't it? Because this is the lament of Jeremiah, most likely, uh, about the destruction of Jerusalem, and it's described pretty graphically as well. I just think, you know, one thing that we see in this book is the form, and you've probably talked about this too, the way it is a poem in really interesting order, even numbers of verses, 22 verses in chapters one and two, which is the number of letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And then of course, uh, 22 verses in four and five as well, but triple that in chapter three, and you'll reach that. That's going to be, that's a beautiful section of Lamentations. But uh, this, this really is something, you know, I think it shows us the importance of thoughtful, introspective repentance and lament as we see our own unfaithfulness in the world and as we see the chaos in the world too. Sometimes, sometimes we like to point the finger, you know, at people who are off track and going off God's path. But Lamentations really shows that we need to look at our own sinfulness, our own unfaithfulness before God, and do so in a way that is uh, truly has some depth to it and reflection to it. That's really, I think, illustrated well in the form of this book. I just talk about the artistic nature of the scriptures, uh, the way Jeremiah constructs his lament in the form of a Hebrew acrostic in, in the order of the alphabet, each line of verse two, for instance, starting with uh, the letters of the Hebrew alphabet, ABC, you know, all of faith Gimel. And it's just really, really wonderful. Um, you see the power, uh, you just think about the listeners, you know, they were listening to this lament and being drawn into it for their repentance and their hearts turning back to God and expressing their sorrow uh, over what they've done, what they perpetrated. Uh, and so as we go through these verses too, you know, we'll just highlight, especially that first word, what letter of the Hebrew alphabet it is and, and the power of the message it brings to the listener too. So really, really fascinating to see how God constructed his word, not only in a meaningful way, this inspired word of God, but 
with beauty and depth. Yeah, I, I really think the, the structure is important. Yesterday, I talked with Dr. Tim Seleska from Concordia Seminary St. Louis, and, and he suggested you know, that, that grief is so often an unordered time in our lives. And the way Jeremiah puts this in a very ordered structure helps us through that time of grief and lament to, to give voice to it. And as you said, in a very beautiful and introspective way, something that we, we certainly need as human beings and, and especially as Christians. President Newman, I, I know you've, you've got a book from CPH about grieving. It's called Hope When Your Heart Breaks. And I, before we dig into the text, I'd, I'd just like to hear your thoughts, uh, either from the book and in your own personal experience and as a, a Christian and in pastoral ministry, about the importance of grieving and lamenting for human beings, I think, in general, but particularly for us as Christians. Yeah, you know, in our Western culture, we zip past everything and we hope it just goes away and kind of a microwave culture where we'd like it to be done with. And we forget that uh, grief, you know, the old tradition here in the scriptures of sackcloth and ashes or other cultures too, where there's certain periods of mourning, I think they're all very wise because, you know, when your heart breaks, when you experience a loss, you need to ponder that and reflect on it and honor it as well. If you lose a loved one, you honor the love for that person. You remember, you give thanks, you cry, you pay tribute, and that takes time. And then just those feelings dwelling in our hearts take time as well. And so the book, Hope When Your Heart Breaks, really is a tool for people to be able to uh, walk through their grief in a, a way that uh, can receive the word of God, balm, healing, uh, but also not shortchange it and not repress it because it's so important to be able to, to feel those feelings and go through the difficulty and loss. So the book, the book I wrote is structured in a way where you can just choose any chapter. It's not meant to be read from cover to cover and you can point, uh, pick out how you're feeling or what you're experiencing. You know, I'm mad at God or I don't feel like getting up in the morning or I wish my life would have turned out differently. Those types of things. There's 52 little chapters and people can just use that as a lifeline. They wake up at three in the morning and, what, and just ha have something, have the word of God to replenish their soul. Uh, I think it's important for people to know, and you've, you've experienced this as a pastor, you know that when someone loses a loved one or goes through a loss, it, it just takes time and prayer and sometimes I, I used to tell families, after one year, you may get back to ground zero, just to give them a little bit of perspective, because it's not a rush thing. You know, people say, well, are, are you over this yet? Or come on, um, you know, get back to your normal life. But uh, Jeremiah also uh, acknowledges the fact with the structure of this book that it does take reflection and time and thoughtfulness to evaluate the grief and loss and brokenness going on and to honor those, uh, just the variety of feelings and experiences you have. So, yeah, it's just so important for us. That's one thing we've, we've lost in our culture. I think this lament and repentance, uh, where we, you know, we blame others or we just get busy, but being before the Lord, bowing before him and thinking about what we've done and confessing what we've done thoughtfully, that leads to healing and life change as well. So it's really great to see Lamentations 
God's given us this great gift of the, this book of the Bible. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's kind of strange, perhaps, to say that that I enjoy reading the Book of Lamentations, but I really do because it it gives you that needed perspective of the importance of lament, and and just the again the artistic way that Jeremiah lays it out, and the way that it's while there is that pattern to it, you know, in the acrostic structure that is certainly driving us toward that center that's coming in the middle of Lamentations three, there is plenty of allowance for the grief to run its course in the strange ways that grief does, because as we'll see, as the book ends, it doesn't necessarily have a, a quote, happy ending that those feelings of grief and lament and, and very strong sorrow will come back. Some of the same stuff that we're going to see here. And so, I mean, you get to see the ups and downs of that lament of the, the grief, the repentance over the own sin, and, and yet always anchored in that hope that's there in chapter three, particularly. So I, I really, I mean, I really do. I appreciate this book. And I, I think that it's a, a very needed book for us in our time, because we are so prone, as, as you said, to, to anger and self-justification as ways of kind of, I think, holding our own sin and need to repent at arm's length, thinking that if, if I just be angry at other people and justify myself, that'll somehow make it better. When in reality, the, the true need is to mourn over my sin, to repent, to do this lamentation, and then let the Lord be the one to justify me. And, and even in the process of that lament, draw me back to himself, closer to himself, founded on the mercy that, you know, his, as Lamentations 3 says, is never ending and his faithfulness that is, is so much greater than anything else we know. Any more introductory comments, response to that, Pastor Newman, before we get started here? I just think you really hit the nail on the head. It's so you're so right. And the way the structure of this book goes reflects the truth of our condition, this uh, our our broken, sinful condition, our human condition. That's the great thing about the scriptures. God doesn't pull any punches. He says, "Here's reality." He lets us know the truth. Part of that truth is our total fallenness, and the fact that Lamentations five is not an acrostic. It's almost a chaotic. Like you said, not a happy ending to the book, but it shows us that these, these strands of grief and loss, the sinful condition still clings to us. We are sinner, yet we are saint. And see, that's the other part of the wonderful truth God gives us, of course, encapsulated in chapter three here and, and throughout the scriptures, that God is our only hope. He is the one who saves us. We need to cry out to him and look to him. So uh, the fact that the Bible gives us refreshing truth, even even if it's the brutal facts, and lets us know that sometimes, well, that all the time, sin is chaotic. And into that, we need God's help. So yeah, I think this is just a need, like you said, a book needed for our day and age, a book of the Bible, something to be taken heart by all of us in the church, in the culture. And that, the dangerous thing is for us to say, yeah, the world needs this. All those sinners out there need this. And then we say, wait a minute. No, no, we're the ones who need it. We need to search our hearts and souls because we're also fallen and unfaithful before God. And if we all stay humble like that and repentant before the Lord, as Luther said, if, if every day is a day of repentance, then we, we see that God's kingdom come in a powerful way. Let's take a look then. In Lamentations chapter 2, we're picking up in verse 11 this morning. My eyes are spent with weeping. My stomach churns. My bile is poured out to the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people, because infants and babies faint in the streets of the city. They cry to their mothers, where is bread and wine? 
as they faint like a wounded man in the streets of the city, as their life is poured out on their mother's bosom. What can I say for you? To what compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? What can I liken to you, that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? For your ruin is vast as the sea. Who can heal you? Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes, but have seen for you oracles that are false and misleading. All who pass along the way clap their hands at you. They hiss and wag their heads at the daughter of Jerusalem. Is this the city that was called the perfection of beauty, the joy of all the earth? All your enemies rail against you. They hiss. They gnash their teeth. They cry, we have swallowed her. Ah, this is the day we longed for. Now we have it. We see it. The Lord has done what he purposed. He has carried out his word, which he commanded long ago. He has thrown down without pity. He has made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted the might of your foes. Their heart cried to the Lord. O wall of the daughter of Zion, let tears stream down like a torrent day and night. Give yourself no rest, your eyes no respite. Arise, cry out in the night, at the beginning of the night watches. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint for hunger at the head of every street. Look, O Lord, and see, with whom have you dealt thus? Should women eat the fruit of their womb, the children of their tender care? Should priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? At the dust of the streets lie the young and the old. My young women and my young men have fallen by the sword. You have killed them in the day of your anger, slaughtering without pity. You summoned as if to a festival day my terrors on every side. And on the day of the anger of the Lord, no one escaped or survived. Those whom I held and raised, my enemy destroyed. That's Lamentations 2, verses 11 through 22. President Newman, you suggest that, that as we look at these verses, one way we can do so is to consider that first word, which again goes alphabetically in order in the Hebrew, as a way to enter into and kind of expose that structure that Jeremiah has. So in verse 11, and we need to be careful because the first word in English isn't necessarily the first word in Hebrew. So in verse 11, what's that first word and, and how does that help us into this part of the text? Yes. <clears throat> so the first word, uh, the sentence is, my eyes are spent with weeping. The first word is spent. You get the Hebrew emphasis there, spent. You know, their eyes are spent with weeping. And what you, you need to do as we do this little exercise is put yourself in the place of the people hearing. What's the impact they're receiving as this is read aloud to people and how are they being embraced? And that first word is powerful. It means finished. It, it was first used in Genesis chapter two, when it says, thus the heavens and earth were finished. So there's this completion of creation in Genesis, but here in Lamentations is this completion of destruction. Oh, and how many times have you and I and listeners felt just spent, finished when the difficulty hits, you know, chaos and the evil of our day, the endless news cycle, even even our own sin and straying. And uh, of course, you know, the verse goes on to talk about the stomach churning and bile being poured out to the ground. You know how many times you and I had our stomachs churn over difficulties or losses in our lives or even our own failures. And, uh, you know, this once again, this this gets so graphic, you know, as you read through the whole thing. You heard how graphic it is, and this talks about you know, vomiting. 
So vomiting about the abuse, suffering, and pain of innocent folks, you know, here are babies and infants. So this is some real suffering, struggle, and being upset. And that first word just highlights the emptiness of, uh, of what's going on. And that, that contrast with the way that word is used in Genesis 2, I, does, I do think really highlights what has happened to the people, this you know, decreation that's gone on in the destruction of Jerusalem. I mean, gives you a, a reminder of just how horrific an event this was for Jeremiah and for the people of Judah who experienced it. I think sometimes we have a hard time appreciating just how, how bad this really was. But I mean, this is, you know, the complete destruction of everything that they know. We talked yesterday, the, the loss of the temple particularly is, is highlighted there, you know, to think this is the place we knew as long as we had this, this is where God dwelt among us. And now that's gone. I mean, you, you can see that maybe it sounds a bit dramatic in verse 11, you know, the way that he, he speaks about his physical pain, but it, I, I think it's, it's pretty, pretty apt, a description of what's happened to the people that they quite literally felt that physical pain of all the the spiritual and emotional trauma that they'd gone through it affected them physically and and certainly you know i mean as as we'll see with the the famine that occurred under the siege of jerusalem but even just that the the spiritual aspect of it had a physical effect sometimes maybe something we forget but i, I think that's a very real thing that that what is happening to us spiritually can affect us physically could you comment a little bit more on that president newman yeah, you know, this book of the Bible is read at the wailing wall. And wailing is that wailing, crying, right? I think we have to remember that in Hebrew culture, uh, there, was a, there was, a, it was a demonstrative emotionally. And it wasn't a Western, you know, we're so used to our Western culture, stiff upper lip, and, you know, you hold in your feelings and you just carry on. But this was uh, an outwardly uh, demonstrative emotional culture. And so uh, these feelings came to the surface and, you know, you picture it, picture throughout a destroyed Jerusalem, a Jerusalem that has been under siege, the weeping and mourning and crying out and desperation. And that's what we're hearing happening here. Uh, when it comes to us, uh, there are things that bring us to our knees that absolutely, um, you know, put us at a loss and bring us to weeping and tears. It doesn't, maybe it doesn't happen very often and maybe we have different personalities, but uh, we get worn out. And, and particularly, I think, you know, I'm seeing now among people and church workers, a real sense of being spent, uh, having gone through and continuing to go through the COVID issues and just all the attendant issues around that people are ready to give up and, uh, People are in despair. Uh, sometimes our despair is more silent, more internal. But this has been really a hard time. And so the, the choice we have is to turn inward and look within ourselves or look at other solutions, temporary solutions the world offers. Or, and this is one of the great larger messages of Lamentations, it is to cry out to God, to take him to task. You know, the, the name Israel in people of Israel stands for, uh, he struggles with God. 
And so we are really called to do that. And that's what Jeremiah is doing. He's struggling with God, contending with God about the awful destruction going on. And oh, that our cries would be cries to God when it comes to times we're spent. I, I think that's a fantastic insight and, and one that we really need to hear at our time, because I think there is a tendency among you know Western Christians, that's, that's who we are, to, to kind of hold those things in as if we, as either we need to show God that we're strong enough on our own, which we're not, or as if God somehow can't handle our, our, you know, lamenting like this. And, and he can is the reality. And, and I think, you know, either to turn inward or to look to those temporary solutions that the world offers, they may provide a little bit of, of help we think at the time, but they never are as lasting. Whereas if you go through the lamenting that, that we have an example of here in lamentations, I mean, there the Lord does begin to provide that healing that again, has its ups and downs, but it, man, I'm that's, I know in my own personal experience, when I, when I try those inward solutions or the worldly solutions, it never ultimately works. And when I finally, you know, listen to the scriptures and make use of them like lamentations in my own prayers, well, I mean, what a relief it is to know that, that there have been people, Christians who've come before me that had their eyes spent with weeping, that, that felt the same way that sometimes I do. And what, I mean, what a relief that is and a comfort that, in this great cloud of witnesses, they weren't all, you know, stiff upper lip, always feeling great, but they were going through these same feelings of, of tragedy and catastrophe that I go through. And they did so in the hope that is theirs in Christ. And now that same hope belongs to me. And I can cry out with those same words that they've left for me. I mean, it's just a real, it's a real joy, even though it sounds strange, but the, the ability to lament becomes a part of ultimately the hope and the joy that the Lord is, is drawing us toward. Yeah. Isn't it great to have a Bible verse that says my stomach churns? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you think, wow, God gets to that. He understands that he validates those things. And actually it's also a signal and teaching for us. If our stomach is churning and eyes are spent with weeping, if we're worn out, if we're stuck in a destructive habit or hung up on a grudge or our life is out of balance or we're, experiencing physical or spiritual neglect, all these things, God is telling us, hey, those are signals for your need for repentance. These are indications that God is saying, hey, you've got an issue here. You need to cry out to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, as Jesus said. So God validates those things, and he puts them within the context of saying, cry out and cry out to me, you know, uh, give up your ways and let me show you my ways. So uh, it's a beautiful thing that God does. And ultimately too, you know, what I love about uh, even that, that verb spent, my eyes are spent, finished. I mean, that echoes into the New Testament, doesn't? When Jesus also cried out on the cross and said, it is finished. You know, when he was fully spent for our sins to restore us, it just has it's pointing in the direction of the Savior who actually is embodied in this lament. He's the one whose eyes were spent with weeping, whose stomach churned, who was poured out completely. Um, you know, you just see uh, in Jesus suffering him taking all of this on himself. So uh, that's another dimension that's absolutely remarkable for our benefit. 
Yeah, the gospel really shines through the book of Lamentations when you when you see it in that light and you see how Christ has taken all of this suffering upon himself for our sakes. That I mean, the gospel just really begins to shine through the book of Lamentations. And again, I'm I'm not alone in my suffering, not only because there's this great cloud of witnesses, but ultimately because God has become my brother in Jesus Christ and he has suffered with me and for me for my salvation. I mean, that's that's just beautiful stuff from from the book of Lamentations. Let's let's go into the next verse before we go to our break, Pastor Newman. The, verse 12 starts they cry to their mothers and this is one of the most heart-wrenching verses in this chapter and even in, in the book. There's a few others that are that challenge it, but this is this is really hard to read of the the absolute hunger that was there and affecting even the most vulnerable the, the children. Take us into verse 12. Yeah, so the first word of verse 12, it's in English, they cry to their mothers. The first word is to their mothers. And you just see the emphasis there of exactly what you just described, the absolute tragedy of involving children who are starving. Uh, Jeremiah was witnessing this siege of Jerusalem and the worst, and it gets worse as we go through here, the worst of all suffering. So... Yeah, this just, again, shows the tragedy and truth of our human condition and where we, if we reject God, will end up to the, the, the absolute loss. So uh, it's just so difficult to hear that outcry and know that you know, children, our lives are being poured out. They're fainting uh, in the streets. Uh, we see the absolute desperation of a life that is without God. Yeah, I mean, here with this relationship between mothers and children, you know, if, if ever there was a place that a, a child could look to for food, it's it's the mom. That's the source of food for the child. And for that to be taken away shows, I mean, in a, just the most tragic of ways, the the ultimately the futility of human help, that even those that are the most dependable, even our own mothers, will sometimes not be able to give what we need. And I think ultimately, even as that's a horrif horrific thing to read, yet it is going to point us forward to that hope that even though human help can't make it for us, the Lord is there and he will help. And we'll talk more about that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking Lamentations Chapter 2 with President Michael Newman. We will be right back. Please stick around. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, and Corporate Synod, daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org careers. Hi, I'm Pastor Sean Smith, host of Concord Matters, where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. Join us as we read through the Book of Concord and look at confessional topics as learned guests and lively discussion will lead us to appreciate how the treasures of the Lutheran confessions apply in the 21st century as much as they did in the 16th. So join us every Saturday at 10 a.m. Central on KFUO Radio or on demand through the Concord Matters podcast. Until we convene for Concord again, 
Keep confessing, church. Did you know that your individual retirement account may make the best gift to KFUO? The IRS now allows individuals 70 and a half or older to transfer their required minimum distribution directly to charity and avoid paying the associated income tax. These gifts can provide regular long-term resources to KFUO. If you have questions about making an IRA gift to KFUO, call me, Mary, at 314-996-1518. We'll send a representative out to help answer your questions and help you establish a legacy of giving to your favorite radio station, Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, August 18th, and we are studying Lamentations 2, verses 11 through 22 with President Mike Newman, president of the Texas District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. President Newman, we're, we left off about verses 12, verse 13, uh, looking into to verse 13, just to keep us moving into the text. The English begins, what can I say for you to what compare you, O daughter of Jerusalem? What's the, the first word here? How does Jeremiah push us into this verse? Yeah, the first word is the same in English, what? It's one of those big question verses in the Bible, like how long and why did the, you know, my, why have you forsaken me and why did the wicked prosper? And so it's just great to hear these penetrating questions. And I, I think it's just, you know, as we were talking about, this really is so emblematic of and digs deeply into the theology of the cross. You know, when it comes to our real condition here, we don't have a multiple choice about what life is like here in this broken world, in our sinful world. And we don't have multiple choice when it comes to how you know we're going to design God. So in the reality of our suffering, we cry out with these questions and uh, we're, we're blessed because God chooses to walk with us in our suffering and to hear us and uh, hear our outcries. So th this is just, these are great questions. What can I say? And uh, who can heal you? Uh, it, it's just a really great reality for all of us. If anyone thinks the Bible is just uh, fluff and, you know, doesn't really get to the heart of the issue, these questions show very clearly that the Bible digs deeper than even our own thoughts can dig. And it reveals uh, things that we wouldn't normally see revealed in our lives. Well, and, and I think, it, you know, it, it asks questions that sometimes we find ourselves perhaps afraid to ask. I, you know, we ask these questions in our own hearts, certainly in moments of, of great trial and, and suffering. You know, how long or what can I say? Who can heal? I think we ask those questions to ourselves. But sometimes we're, again, I think afraid to, to voice them out loud especially to the Lord, as if he'll think poorly of us or, or question us back. And I think, I mean, the, again, just this wonderful example from Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations, and we see this so often in the Psalms and in plenty of other prophetic literature, that to ask these questions to God, that's, that's precisely what we should do with those questions. I mean, now we should be ready to hear whatever his answer is, even when it's say unexpected. We're gonna we're gonna be studying the book of Habakkuk here on Sharp Iron in a few weeks, and we'll see some unexpected answers from the Lord. But to ask the question in expectation that he will give a, a good and right answer, even if it's not what I thought it was going to be, that's exactly what we need to do with these questions. And I think verse thirteen is a, another example of that in the scriptures. Yeah, and this these are kind of marching orders for Christians, for pastors, for servants of God. You know, we're able to bring these questions to people who are afraid to ask them or think, oh, you can't really ask God that. And so as a pastor, I found very often it was wonderful to meet with a family and say, let's ask the big questions. Let's dig deeply. And even in pastoral ministry to congregations, this is an important thing about church, right? Because when people are gathered together, uh, 
they can pull back the layers of veneer and say, let's get real and let's ask these big questions. And even as, as Christians to one another or as Christians to the world to say, hey, instead of living in denial, uh, let's just be bold and let's ask these big questions to God and dig deeply and see what he says. And like you said, it may not be the answer we want to hear. And maybe like Job, it's just going to be the fact that he speaks and lets us know he's real. Christian life is a fearless life. And to bring the big questions of life to others is something God has given us to do. And that last question in verse 13, who can heal you? It's certainly a loaded question. And I think it, it sounds like as Jeremiah continues in this particular poem, he considers a couple of answers and ultimately arrives that it is only the Lord who can do this finally. The first answer that, that he seems to consider and rejects pretty quickly is your prophets in verse 14. So tell us about your prophets. Yeah, so it's great. After he says, who can heal you, like you said, it leads into the first word of 14 is prophets. And then your prophets. Uh, uh, so how about them? You know, how has that been working out for you? They were finding voices that they wanted to hear. They wanted to hear people who would justify what they were doing and the way they wanted to go. And it was not working out for them. And we hear that warning all through the scriptures. There's going to be times when People with itching ears seek voices that, you know, please them or affirm their direction. But uh, Jeremiah says, hey, that, that's not been working, has it? Uh, how about the real prophet? How about the real voice of God to lead you through life? There's uh, the good shepherd has a rod and a staff. And it does, it's not always pleasant sometimes when you get that rod. But uh, we need to listen and hear uh, so that we can follow the truth. Uh, the middle part of verse 14, you know, they, that is your prophets, these false ones, they have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes. I think is a, a pretty important, is an important verse, certainly in the context of Lamentations 2 and what the people have lost by rejecting ultimately Jeremiah as the true prophet, as we saw in his book, he, they did not receive his preaching. And I think just in, largely speaking as, as Christians, it's a good reminder of why the Lord speaks both in law and gospel, why he sends his servants to expose our iniquity, which is not comfortable at the time, but it is necessary to restore our fortunes, as he said. And I think if, if you can dig into the Hebrew a little bit there for us, President Newman, it's a little bit stronger than just restore fortunes maybe has a, a worldly connotation, but there's there's more going on there. Right, right. In order to restore you, this is really the, the Hebrew word shuv for repentance, right? To return you. So this is really digging deeply again into, uh, you know, the purpose of this lament as well and this message to bring the people back to the Lord. And uh, instead, they wanted to hear false and deceptive visions and false and misleading oracles that would keep them comfortable and not bring them back to where they needed to be. Yeah. So, I mean, again, we see who's going to heal well, it's not these false prophets, because they're not speaking the true word of the Lord. They're not exposing iniquity in order to bring to repentance. They're just saying what the people want to hear, but it's not true. In verse 15, it, maybe we can continue to consider who can heal you. Who starts to come into the, the view there in verse 15? Yeah, so here we have those who pass along the way. So here are other people. You know, how about, how about others? Are they going to be able to heal you? And the first word is, clapping. They clap over you. They clap their hands at you. This is a, a critique. And those, those who are uh, 
you know, wagging their heads and hissing lips. And that's what we see in verse 15. Uh, so we see the folks who are really telling them, hey, you guys have strayed from the path. And so it's not going to be friends and uh, colleagues and people around you uh, because they see the truth more than you see it. Yeah, verse, verse 15, and this is just, you know, as we talked earlier about how Christ takes the suffering upon himself. Verse 15 reminds me of, and the, the picture I have is Christ on the cross, and you've got people passing by, and maybe they're not outright mocking him like his, you know, the, the religious leaders are. And I think that comes up in verse 16 of Lamentations 2. But as they walk by, they're just kind of, yeah, shaking their heads. Like, I, I can't believe, what what is this? What's the purpose of this? And, you know, not really, there's no validation for what's going on there, just sort of uh, just walking by as if it seems purposeless, which certainly that's not where Jeremiah is going to to draw the the line. That's not where he's he's driving us to here in Lamentations two. He's moving us again toward the Lord as as the help. So the ones passing by, sort of those casual observers, you know, having this critique, ultimately they can't be the help either. It sounds like in verse sixteen. Then now, so we've talked about the false prophets, the pastors by, and now it sounds like we've got enemies in verse sixteen. Yeah. So the first word there is they rail. So we have these these verbs that are just crushing, right? We have clapping and wagging. We have railing. Your enemies railing against you, hissing, gnashing their teeth. And you're right. You know, all of this really does point us to say, wow, this is this is Christ on the cross. This is um, those who criticized him. But it's an indictment of the listeners who refuse to be accountable. You know, they they wouldn't listen to other people. Uh, they're not listening even to their enemies as they hiss and rail against them. Uh, so, you know, the people have hard, been so hardened, and uh, now the enemies are speaking with some uh, sense of victory. We've, you know, now we have it. We see it. This is the day we longed for. And this really highlights the fact, too, that there is a battle going on. You know, there is an enemy. Uh, our world isn't basically a good place, and people aren't generally good at heart. We are a fallen, sinful world. And the people in Jerusalem were living in denial about that, trying to justify themselves and blend in. But now the enemies are there and the truth is being spoken and there was going to be no healing found in them. Yeah, I mean, the, the enemies are, are just piling on. Yeah, I mean, the, the people have experienced the punishment from the Lord. That's a, the first part of this chapter. You know, over and over again, we heard how the Lord in his fierce anger, the Lord in his wrath did all these things to Jerusalem. And and now as, as we are in the second part of the poem, you know, I mean, here we have the enemies who are the ones that the Lord used. He used the Babylonians to bring his punishment upon his people. But now they're just piling on. And I think, you know, this is this is an important verse. Certainly, they're not going to be the ones to heal. It's not going to come from the enemies. And they are real enemies that that even as the Lord made use of these Babylonians and, and others to destroy his people in this way, they are still the enemy. And, and they went too far. And they are going to be held accountable to the Lord as well. And to include that in this prayer, you know, that, that the enemies are, are there— mocking, taunting the people of God, even as the people of God are suffering justly for their sins, I think that's that's an important thing for us in, in our time, too, and in our own grief and lament, because, you know, as, as we reflect upon our own lives, certainly we see our sin and we know our guilt. 
But we also recognize that at the same time that, you know, I'm a sinner and I'm guilty and I deserve God's punishment, there are enemies that attack me and, and add on to that. And to, to have that in the prayer at the same time, now I think, I guess maybe, the, and maybe this is just me, but in my own mind, I think, okay, if, if I've sinned and I've, I've deserved this, then I'm going to repent and I'm not going to, to worry about who else might be to blame. But I think you see in the book of Lamentations and in other places in the scriptures as well, that those two things kind of go hand in hand, that even as I repent of my own sin and, and recognize you know, that I, I'm receiving what I deserve, that I still ask God to, to protect me from the enemies who would add to that as well. And I think that's, again, as you know, we go through periods of lament and mourning and grief in our own lives, I think that's an important recognition for us to, to be able to pray in both of those ways at the same time, as it seems Jeremiah is doing here. Oh, very much so. You know, you hear in the Psalms, contend, O Lord, against those who contend against me. And it, when you go through the book of Revelation, sometimes people are so startled at the warfare and kind of like lamentations here, the, the violence even. But one thing the book of Revelation shows is that God is a God of justice and he will crush enemies. He will defend the victim. Uh, evil will be eliminated and punished. And for anyone who suffers injustice, for anyone who experiences being a victim of some horrible thing, and there's so much of that going on in our day, and even whether it's emotionally or physically, to know that God is going to uh, punish enemies and put an end to unrighteousness and injustice and unfairness and evil. He's going to put an end to it. He's going to crush it is such an important message for us. He's not going to just let it go or say, well, we'll forget about that and move on to paradise. No, he says, uh, I recognize, I see every little ounce of hurt and pain caused by the enemy. And that enemy will see its day of vengeance. You know, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So it's a comforting message and a very important message uh, for our hearts and spoken of in the scriptures. So in verse 13, again, who can heal you? Not the false prophets, not those passing along the way, not the enemies. And then in verse 17, I think we start to make the turn because here we we come to the Lord. Yahweh has done what he purposed. So where's the, the emphasis in verse 17? Yeah, so the first word is he has done. And it reminds me of Revelation. Uh, well, a couple of things. You know, it reminds me of Psalm uh, Jesus cry from the cross, you know, it is finished. It reminds me, Revelation 21, it is done. Uh, when the Lord makes a decision, a determination, you know, it is, it is done. And that's what this verse says. The Lord has done what he purposed. He's carried out his word of the curses and blessings in Deuteronomy. You know, when God said very clearly, hey, if you walk with me, there's, there's great blessing, but if you reject me, uh, life will be terrible. And he pleaded in Deuteronomy 30, choose life. And now the people, knowing that word of God full well, uh, can hear very clearly, guess what? God said, and look at what God has done. He has done this uh, because you've rejected him. It's just the, the clear and, and blunt truth spoken to a people who've rejected the Lord. What, what really is, I think, amazing about the move that happens here, or particularly, you know, with that question, who can heal you, as, as each group has been considered and rejected, 
here when the Lord is introduced as a possibility of who can heal you, it, it begins by saying, well, what is the Lord, you know, what, what were the things that he purposed that he's done? Well, I mean, he said, he did what he said, as you mentioned from Deuteronomy and Jeremiah spent his ministry telling the people what the Lord was going to do. And then they say, you know, he's thrown down with pity. He's made the enemy rejoice over you. He's exalted the might of your foes. That's what the Lord has done. And so, you know, if you're thinking along, oh, okay, who can heal you? Boy, it doesn't sound like the Lord's going to be the one. And yet he's precisely the one. And this is, I think, the, the marvelous thing about, you know, this particular poem in the Book of Lamentations is that all the while the people recognize that the Lord has done what he said he would in bringing this just punishment to them, yet they know that he is the only one that can heal them. And, and I, that's the move that begins in verse 18, I think, as we see the people now crying out to the Lord, the one that had brought this punishment upon them, as it turns out, he's the one they need to cry to for healing. Yeah, implicit, you know, when you hear the Lord has done what he purposed and he carried out his word, which he commanded long ago, that leaves the listener hanging a little bit like, hey, wait a minute. God does what he says. He does carry out his word. And so with the punishment that Jeremiah talks about here in Lamentations comes in the background. Wait a minute. There's also promise. There's also promise that God has spoken. And maybe we're being called back to that promise. And as you said, then in verse 18, it moves to, okay, who do we cry to? Because there's God can give something much more than we're experiencing here. So, so take us into to verse 18 in this cry that they offer to the Lord. Yeah, so the first word is cry out, it's, it, which is really great uh, because, again, it bridges this uh, word about God keeping his word and promise. It bridges that to the people saying, okay, cry out now to the Lord. To the Lord is where you cry out. Uh, a wall of the daughter of Zion. And then he just uh, brings them to this is where your weeping needs to go. You need to direct it to the Lord himself. Uh, you mentioned at the beginning of the broadcast, my book, Hope When Your Heart Breaks. And in that book, I tell the story of Captain Richard Phillips. Some of, some of the listeners might uh, remember he was taken captive by Somali pirates. He wrote a book called The Captain's Duty. But after that traumatic time of captivity and suffering and pain, uh, once he was rescued, he said he woke up every morning weeping and he said, I got to push this in. I can't be a crybaby and I need not to do this. And, but it kept happening. So finally, he talked with the Navy psychologist and the Navy psychologist said, cry, let it out. It, when you start, don't stop it because the body needs to purge itself of stress chemicals built up during his terrible ordeal. So that crying is a way to rid the body of the poison of pain. And so Captain Phillips did it and he experienced relief. And then finally the crying stopped. It's a, it's for the people here in Israel, they're, they're receiving uh, this word from Jeremiah. And it goes to our hearts too, that uh, instead of denying or holding in what should be tears of sadness and repentance, we're called to cry out to the Lord, to let it out, to verbalize, to, to admit, to confess, to call out to him in pain and with honesty and rid ourselves of the toxins of wrongdoing and the rejection and failure and loss that we have. And as we do that as a church, as we confess together, we're, we're purging uh, this toxicity of sin from us. We have honesty before God and then 
we see the beauty of God's forgiveness that we receive and that we can share with others. So uh, this verse in itself uh, really, I think, encapsulates the beauty and, and the necessity of lament and repentance and crying out to God today. And, and it's really for every listener, you, will you cry out uh, in your life and confess your own fallenness, your own rejection and sin? Will you cry out to the Lord? Mm-hmm. That that move to crying out to the Lord, I think, really starts to dominate, particularly the next two verses. In verse 19, you have arise, cry out in the night. And then in verse 20, you actually get the prayer, look, O Lord, and see. I mean, I really think that's where the and, and verse 21 and 22, we'll get there. But I think that's really where this this part of the poem is moving us is to that actual prayer in verse 20. Look, O Lord, see. Take us into those those next two verses, 19 and 20. It really is. The, it really is the call to action because the the first word in verse nineteen is arise, arise, cry out in the night. The call to stand up immediately, return to God, lift your hands to Him, and this is just a great appeal to all of us. And it it this word arise echoes throughout the scriptures too. In Psalms nine and ten and others, we hear uh, the call for God to arise. You know, and uh, this is beautiful too. You know, we connect it with the resurrection as well, you know, arise. And so it's a call to the people to be uh, brought to a new place and, and bring their hearts, pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord, lift your hands to him uh, for the lives of your children who faint hunger. So in other words, you see this tragedy, you see everything going on here. And now here's the connection. As you said, this is the place of healing. This is the refuge. This is where you go. And uh, then the first word in verse 20 is look. So uh, in English, we have the two, look, O Lord, and see. And as you said, this is really the fulcrum, right? Here's the connection now, back reunited with the Lord. For a while, people were arising to their denial or their ambitions or their selfishness, their self-centeredness, their self-righteousness, even their sinful behavior. And now they're called to arise in tears before the Lord and asking the Lord to look and see the misery and confusion of their destruction. And the situation was so dire, they needed to call out so that God could look, he could see, and he could bring uh, the help that only he could provide. Yeah, to, to ask the Lord to look and see reminds me of, of what happens right before you get to Exodus 3, where the Lord goes to Moses in the burning bush. You know, the, the text there says that, that God remembered and God, he, he looked at his people and he saw them. And it, I mean, it's that loaded language there in Exodus 2 that I think the Jeremiah is leading the people to call upon the Lord to do that again. Look at us, see us, act for us. Take us into those last two verses today, President Newman, verses 21 and 22. Yeah, it's and so coming out of verse 20 is the worst horror of this lament, right? Yeah. We're asking, we have the the greatest beauty, Lord, look and see at the worst horror as we hear women eating the fruit of their womb, priests being killed in the sanctuary of the Lord. And so then we move into uh, verse 21, where uh, the first word is they lie down. So in the dust of the streets, they lie down. Uh, fallen by the sword, uh, uh, being killed because of God's anger, slaughtered without pity. But again, this posture of total repentance, total need. I think of Ephesians 2, 
that we are dead in our sins and transgressions, but we are made alive with Christ. This is almost the, the lying down of death before the promised resurrection. And uh, verse 22, then the first word is you called. And uh, it says, you summoned as if to a festival day, my terrors on every side. This was a call to terror, but there's another call that God gives from his grace. And in Romans 28, we know, and this, this, this verse sometimes is misused to overlook the dust and ashes of suffering, but it's the great promise. We know that uh, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So God called this destruction to the people, but ultimately for the purpose of calling them to his goodness and to his grace and to his restoration. And so again, you know, this, this chapter two, and remember, this is setting the stage. So verse 22 uh, is the ending right before the beauty of chapter three, the mercies of God. And uh, we, we end with those whom I held and raised, my enemy destroyed. And the great thing this shows us is that even as we lie in the dust of destruction, uh, God has great restoration for us in store through uh, Jesus hearing our cry, through his cry on the cross for us. Uh, and our weeping then can be transformed into joy and singing. President Newman, we have right at two minutes left on the morning. Again, as we reflect on chapter two as a whole and, and going through all that emotion that's there and the, the lamenting and crying out, Again, how, how can we as, as Christians today take a chapter like this, make use of it in, in our faith in a way that, that points us toward Christ crucified as our Savior? You know, as you mentioned at the beginning, these are great verses to be able to read and pray through and to pray from our own hearts and to look at the destruction and the, the horrors that were experienced here by the people in Jerusalem and truly honestly admit and verbalize before God the pain and the horrors we experience in life and that others experience around the world. Whether it is the persecution of Christians that may be happening in Afghanistan right now, the death and carnage happening in Haiti after the terrible earthquake, or whether it is just something happening in our own lives, these verses connect us with that reality and then direct our voices to cry out to God and not to fill in the answers, but to give God space, time in his faithfulness and grace and power to provide what he alone can provide and be silent and still before him and let him truly be God. So these are so valuable for us in our personal lives and in bearing the burdens of one another, talking to others, and bringing others to God in prayer. Pastor Mike Newman is the president of the Texas District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, helping us today with Lamentations chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. President Newman, thank you so much for being our guest today. Pastor Apple, it is always a pleasure. Thanks for your great leadership in studying the Word of God. Cry out to the Lord in lamentation with weeping and tears, knowing that your cries are not in vain. The Lord hears you and he has suffered with you and for you through his son, Jesus Christ, who is your savior. 
I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithfield, Texas. If you have any questions about the Book of Lamentations or comments on the series, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.